The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Welcome to the Friday edition of Passion, where I share some of the latest news stories, studies, etc. about sex, a little bit of, uh, of everything here. Uh, tonight I'm going to talk to you about uh, why people kiss, how sex toys have evolved beyond the penis shape, uh, and that term when people say, oh yeah, that they have a great personality. Is that code word for unattractive? I think you'll be surprised at those findings. And have you ever heard of the term quasi-courtship. It's a little bit like the work wife or work husband, but it comes with some risks. We'll talk about that. And a nail salon wants to be allowed to keep its name. The name of the salon? Hand Jobs. We'll talk about that too. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800. Or 514-800. So at the beginning of every show, I like to answer some of your questions that come to me by uh, email or by text. Uh, so you can always email me during the week to lori at drlori.com or you can text me right here right now at 514-800. Uh, so this was something that uh, we had talked about, I guess, earlier in the week. Uh, the subject of monogamy came up and uh, somebody uh, sent me an email uh, a nice, elaborate, very well-written email says, Monogamy is a biological drive as much, as much as it is a choice. It's about pair bonding for child rearing as much as a chosen commitment between two adults. So grown-ups who have been married with children for some time but who suddenly miss being single and all that comes with it might try realizing the married predicament they find themselves in is simply about being grown-up. I know you heard this part, but they, they uh, extended it, so I want to just... Uh, give you the uh, the background for it. Kind of like having to work 50 weeks out of the year, you have to be loyal to your wife. There are days when we miss high school for wanting to be f- free at 2.30 p.m., but that's in the past. Alas, we have grown up and can no longer enjoy certain freedoms of youth. It's just part of the life cycle. Uh, loyalty between partners and among monogamous couples is essential to successful chi- child rearing. When people are distracted or motivated to look elsewhere than their partner for comfort and support and satisfaction, sexual, emotional, or other, they are deviating from what yields a successful outcome for the species, emotionally healthy children. Children become confused, thus damaged psychologically when they observe their parents fight or betray one another. Uh, The love cycle generated between couples and passed on to children is what drives the species forward. Pair-bonded adult specimens who demonstrate an inclination to subvert this process are malfunctioning as far as the ultimate goal of the species may be concerned. So cheating is bad in a social or collective sense as well as on, on an interpersonal level between partners. Um, very, very well said. And actually coming up tonight, later in the t- tonight, I'm going to talk about uh, an article that I read. If your parents are divorced, it's a study, are you, is your marriage um, doomed to fail? Like if, you're, if your parents are divorced, are you most likely to divorce? So I'll share some of the studies about that, but it talks about that continuation kind of, right? All right, a couple of questions. Is it possible to break my boyfriend's penis? I hope you don't want to break it, but uh, you're asking this out of curiosity, I'm assuming. So 
it's not a bone, so you can't actually snap it into like as if it was a bone. But guess what? You can fracture a penis during trauma. Uh, and this kind of trauma happens g- usually during vigorous sex or vigorous um, masturbation, for example. Remember that the erect penis gets engorged with blood. It has two cylinders that fill up with blood. Forceful bending of the erect penis during any kind of aggressive sex play can actually cause serious injury. If this happens, usually there you, you can hear a pop sound. Uh, it's very painful. Not that I've experienced it, but I've uh, spoken to men who have, and they will tell you, very, very painful. But you need to go to the emergency right away because surgical treatment will be recommended and it has to be soon. Otherwise, uh, you, you end up getting some um, uh, scarring tissues and things like that, and then it's much more difficult to uh, mend once it uh, stays in that place. So you, you've got to really uh, treat it, just like you would treat any other broken bone, really. Uh, this is a good question. Is it possible to pee uh, during sex. So no, uh, not really, but I can tell you that this comes from uh, a female. It's, you can feel the urge to urinate and it, the urge could be uh, rather a strong urge, but this is really often related to the uh, G spot area uh, being stimulated. So the, if you push up upwards towards the outer wall of the vagina and you um, massage that area, it can create that urge uh, to urinate. If you let go, what ends up happening is not urine. You're not actually urinating, although it feels like it because it's coming out of the same place. We've talked about this before. We could, we call this uh, female ejaculation. So usually this would not, this would not be uh, urine even if it could contain traces of urine. So you shouldn't worry that you're going to, uh, going to pee. Uh, another question, is it possible that my penis is too small? So I don't know uh, what size you are or what you're uh, referring to, but generally speaking, if we're speaking just scientifically, um, a penis is not considered to be small if it is more than three inches in length, erect. Okay, so that's just from the science part of it. Only about 35% of men believe that the size of their penis is enough, believe it or not, is sufficient. To me, that says a lot of men suffer from, uh, shall we call it, penis anxiety. Uh, so... And then if you look at uh, studies about uh, women and how they care about it, there was a study done um, that found that 60% of female participants said that penis size made no difference to their sexual pleasure. So it's not all women, but certainly a majority um, of women. And by the way, I know I've said this many, many times before, but the average penis is uh, between 5 it depends where you look, but globally, it, the average penis is about 5.3, 5.4 inches uh, when, um, when erect. Uh, 
So there you go. Uh, Gray writes, thanks, Doc. I just had a cringe moment, as I'm sure all the other guys did when you mentioned the popping penis. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, that's a very, very painful thing to happen. So be careful when you go at it in a very rigorous fashion. Uh, you, you might want to, uh, you know, beware that this kind of thing could happen, does happen. Thankfully, not so frequently, but it, it does happen. Uh, so coming up, I want to talk about uh, why people kiss. There's new research that examines the motives for kissing. Think about it for a minute. What, what's your motive for kissing? And so they looked at people who had been in the last month or so and looked at their kissing behavior and what their motives were. And they're not, uh, some of them were a bit surprising, actually. I, I, you don't think about the motive for kissing. You just think about, oh, kissing's nice. Uh, so this looked at why people kiss. But From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Ever wonder why we kiss, why people kiss? Well, there's a new research out published in the current issue of Sexual and Relationship Therapy that looked at this, and there hasn't been much done. Like some, um, there have been some investigations of kissing in romantic relationships, but really they haven't looked at, at much of it except gender differences in kissing. Like men, uh, findings are that men are more likely to initiate kissing before sexual intercourse and women after intercourse, but no uh, psychological studies have investigated why people kiss until this uh, new research to look at the reasons why we kiss. They developed this scale called the Y, the letter Y, kiss scale, and they um, asked basically 600, close to 650 individuals, um, though some who were in a relationship, others who were not, and they ended up getting some descriptive uh, statistics. And what they found, just uh, some descriptors here, that on average, the participants uh, kissed 19 individuals in their lifetime. By the way, the average age was about 32 years old of the participants. They had their first kiss at age 15. And among those presently in a romantic relationship, they kissed their partner on average 30 times uh, per week. So they were asked to think back to the past month for different statements that were on this why kiss scale and to indicate how frequently each of the reasons um, led you to kiss someone. So they gave a a bunch of reasons and they divided them into sex relational uh, reasons for kissing, goal attainment and insecurity reasons for kissing. Uh, So those were some and the romantic kissing. So for example, the sex relational reasons for kissing were given like uh, things like I wanted to feel connected to the person, I wanted to increase the emotional bond uh, or simply it's fun, or I wanted to initiate other sexual behaviors. Uh, For the goal attainment and insecurity reasons for kissing, so this was the part that was a bit surprising, Um, people kissed because they said, I was mad at the person, so I kissed someone else. I wanted to get even. Um, I wanted a raise or a promotion. I wanted a favor. I wanted to make someone jealous. So different motivations, right? Uh, When uh, different motivations for romantic kissing were compared, researchers found that as expected, 
goal attainment or insecurity motivations were reported less frequently than sexual relational ones. So that makes kind of sense. Um, and as for the role of gender, they didn't see any gender differences in kissing frequency or enjoyment. However, men reported more motivated uh, kissing than, uh, than women did. So how do they explain the findings? This is what they say. Men are usually socialized to be assertive, but women are taught self-control and restraint. Women act as gatekeepers of intimate and sexual behaviors. So it makes sense that more frequent initiators of kissing, for whatever motives they are, are men, and that women engage in romantic kissing in response to their partner's overtures more often than uh, the reverse. So uh, they also say that though kissing can be quite sexual, of course, romantic kissing is more of an emotional and relational activity than a purely sexual one. And thus kissing is likely to be more valued by women than men. Do you uh, agree with that or disagree with that? Let me know. Uh, they go on to say, therefore, while women are more prone to use sex or oral sex, which is valued more by men with their partner as a way to achieve their personal goals, men are more likely to use relational and emotional activities that are valued by women, which includes kissing. Uh, these are hypotheses based on uh, on this. And the findings of the study uh, remind us that kissing is not always about romance. Uh, yes, kissing is often motivated by relational or sexual interest, but sometimes by insecurity or to attain a particular goal or by both. So it helps, they say, to be mindful of why we kiss, especially because some motives for kissing might be maladaptive, well, really unhealthy is the word. Uh, so the motive, for example, of kissing to get back at somebody, uh, is, uh, maybe associated with infidelity and that we know has a destructive consequence for individuals and their relationships. So not always simply for fun. Other people have different kinds of motives. How have sex toys evolved beyond the penis? This is, um, this is interesting. So there are now more and more female designers in the vibrator industry. There was a time when the only sex toys for women basically were, um, like they just looked like, you know, plastic or whatever, uh, male organs. So they were just that, uh, this thought that that's what it was, that a penis is what women wanted. But that clearly was not the case over time as we started to know more and more about uh, female sexuality, we know that it's not penises or the penis shape that gives uh, most women the most uh, pleasure. If you're going to optimize female pleasure, that is not the shape you are going to end up with. So a bunch of uh, women designers have started doing all kinds of uh, wonderful um, inventions where they're doing uh, micro robotics and hands-free vibrators and even sensation enhancing, 
uh, jewelry. These are all like startup companies uh, built uh, by women doing this. So this is uh, kind of fun. So remember, and they all they all say the same thing. Seventy percent of women need clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm. So uh, using those typical uh, dildo uh, vibrators just doesn't cut it for. It just doesn't cut it. So, but what they're saying is go back, go back to, uh, four decades ago when, um, even more, when you look at the, 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 the root of the vibrator, like when did all that, uh, start? And it was the clitoral stimulator. It was, I don't know if you've ever seen the Hitachi magic wand. It's just a, a, a device. You, it, you used to plug it in before batteries, um, plug it in. It, it looks like a, a back massager. In fact, it used to be sold as a back massager, but it has a head on it that moves, that is very, very powerful, very, a lot of vibrations. You don't put it anywhere inside. It's for uh, the outside. And so m- for decades, many of these vibrators were non-phallic vibrators. It wasn't until the 1950s that the vibrator became this uh, phallic shaped, really not sure, uh, why (laughs) that is, um, not sure why they were always made to look like human body parts. Um, it's, that's not what women needed. And, uh, so today we have come a long way. There are far more toys available than before. And most of them now are not penis shaped. So you go into any uh, sex store now and you ask for a female uh, sex toy, they're not going to point you to a penis looking thing. Uh, so that's, uh, that's good news for, uh, for women. Have you ever said to somebody, oh, that person has a really great uh, personality and that's the first thing you say about them or someone has said that to you and is your response oh does that mean they're not attractive and this could be for male male or women but research suggests that saying or the term oh great personality actually is not a code word for unattractive and it actually means more often than not attractive but that isn't what we commonly see, right? Imagine a friend describing a potential date as having uh, a great personality. Oh, I'm going to set you up with someone. They have a great personality. What would you expect? What kind of person? What question would, would that follow-up question be? Because in our culture, when we describe somebody as having a great personality, somehow it means... I don't know why, but it means that they are not so physically uh, attractive and that their best feature might be their, uh, their great personality. But that's interesting because research suggests that having a great personality is actually associated with increased attractiveness, not decreased attractiveness. So uh, why would a good personality imply unattractiveness. And these are according to these researchers. One reason why people may expect a less attractive partner when hearing that someone has a good personality is the order in which one chooses to list a potential date's 
traits. If your friend mentions a good personality first, you might expect that trait to be their most positive or most important uh, trait rather than anything else, right? Like you wouldn't say, oh, that person is really conscientious or that person is really, really caring. Uh, unfortunately, that's not what people uh, look for. So when individuals self-report the importance of different mate characteristics, most individuals will say that a good personality is more important than good looks. That's the bottom line. Even though we tend to say this, I don't know why, but when we describe people, the most important things are their personalities, not their looks. So individuals may think that due to the importance of physical attractiveness to dating desirability, it should be mentioned first. It's like we think we have to mention it first, but we don't have to. And maybe if you say that, maybe say, but there, you know, makes them attractive. It is attractive. It's an attractive trait. Uh, so it goes with being um, attractive. Coming up, I want to talk about uh, quasi-courtships, uh, in other words, kinds of relationships in uh, at the office. But I also want to talk about a nail salon who is fighting to keep the name of their uh, salon to, well, I'll tell you that after. You can only guess what that is. That's coming up after we check traffic. Actually, we go to our newsroom uh, right here on CJD 800. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex out loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Any guesses as to uh, the name of that nail salon? So this uh, nail salon owner in Ohio has pledged to fight to keep her business's unusual and controversial name, Hand Jobs Salon. Uh, <laughs> there apparently have been complaints about the hand job salon, uh, which bears a large sign displaying the name of the shop above its entrance and officials are looking into whether the sign could be considered obscene. Uh, they have said, uh, we have no stance on it other than we have to take into consideration the entire feel and community of Perkins Township. That's where... Uh, the salon is. Uh, the owner, Don Moon, has pledged to fight to keep the name. She says, if you go in and get your nose done, it's called a nose job, right? Well, you come in and get your hands done. It's a hand job. Uh, the business had earlier been denied a permit for its sign, but the township reversed the decision after determining similar names had been approved by the Ohio Board of Cosmetology and the o Ohio Secretary of State. Uh, she said she will go to court to fight any attempts to make her change or remove the sign. I think it's hysterical, the name of a, a nail salon to be hand jobs. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, all right. Have you ever, ever had a situation at work or known a coworker or been with a coworker who you just really clicked with? Not, I'm not talking about having a real sexual interest in the person or a desire to have a romantic relationship with them, but a situation where with a coworker you enjoyed your daily interactions, uh, you worked well together, uh, the day-to-day -day duties of your job were actually more enjoyable because of this colleague. Uh, the banter, the rapport between you was a, a source of job satisfaction for both of you. 
maybe you feel like the sense of there's chemistry here or we make a really good team. This is how you would describe this um, working relationships. This There's research done on this. So one of the things that you're probably not aware of is just how differently you might behave with this person compared to how you act with other uh, coworkers. In psychological terms, there's a, a category of nonverbal behaviors known as quasi or quasi-courtship behaviors, and they appear in interactions between individuals who in all other circumstances would be appropriate romantic partners for each other. And on the surface, they look like they may even be uh, flirting between the two of them, um, especially if they were to explore the possibility of a real romantic encounter, it would look like that. But um, that's not what we're looking at right here. These are, when we talk about these quasi-courtship behaviors, are actually unconscious behaviors and automatic. And most people who do this are unaware of what is um, going on. So quasi-courtship behaviors basically energize our everyday relationships and they can be a, a, a force to, for good in work situations where there needs to be a lot of cooperation and, and creativity, for example, in the work environment. But there are, uh, they talk about this and they talk about four stages to quasi-courtship. Courtship readiness, positioning, actions of appeal or invitation, and qualifiers. And I want to talk about these different levels because there is a risk involved uh, in all of this. So the courtship uh, readiness, not the same as interested in sex. Like don't, let's not mix those two up. But um, those in a state of readiness for this are not particularly interested in in, in the romance. Uh, but they... This has been looked at and studied in the workplace. So I'm just sharing some of this stuff. In a state of courtship readiness, people will display things like preening behaviors, which look like flirting behaviors when you think about it, right? Stroking their hair, tugging at their clothes, uh, checking their appearance in any mirror, etc. The second phase is the positioning for uh, courtship. And basically that is posturing and a use of space that focuses the pair's attention on each other to the exclusion of others. So their bodies may face each other. They may move forward in their chairs, for example. It's like if you ever saw in a workplace environment two people who, who are who are coworkers but who are working very, very closely, you might even misinterpret that for um, – like maybe that something's going on uh, between them. So there's a, it looks like that, but it isn't quite that. Uh, then there are actions of appeal or invitation, which look a little more like uh, flirting. The amount of eye contact uh, increases, for example. They have their like side jokes and, and mischievous smiles, uh, things like that. And there's a, a humor, playful tones, etc. If you ever notice, there are some people who do this with others at work, with very specific people, to the exclusion of everybody else. It's not someone who does this with everybody. 
it's when you have this, that's why it's called a quasi courtship, which would be with one uh, particular person. Some of us might call that the work husband or the work wife. We've heard that term um, used uh, before, right? Uh, so there are different phases to, to this kind of thing. But, uh, of course, there is a risk. And the risk is there could be misunderstandings, um, especially if there's a lack of, like, clear uh, boundaries. Like, that has to be really clear in the workplace because it, otherwise it can lead to awkward situations. Maybe one person feels that, there's uh, actual sexual interest. They say that usually the men uh, will infer uh, sexual interest when there actually is none. And of course, in the workplace, it could lead to um, sexual harassment, accusations, and stuff like that. So clearly, uh, having a frank and open uh, conversations will uh, will help that. But uh, I'd never really thought about this or, or really read much about this until this one particular article. So if you want to know more about it, quasi-courtship behaviors, which are good for the workplace. They energize the workplace, but they have their risks. So just simply, you know, be aware of these kinds of things. A texter writes in, we were talking about the vibrators and the one I was talking about, which really we're going back to, uh, back to basics, which are really clitoral stimulators rather than dildos for women and the big seller then and now is the uh the uh, hitachi magic wand and one person says yes i know that massager uh i call it meat et <laughs> i don't know why uh it says i've purchased the vibrators with the rabbit total waste of money but et meaning the 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 Hitachi Magic Wand, for example, totally uh, destroyed them. So um, there you go. <laughs> Grace says, if you go in for a hairdo, you can't call it a blowjob. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're right. Yeah, you're very quick. We're talking about the nail salon, but the name hand job. Can you call a, a hair salon a blowjob? <laughs> Oh my, oh my, oh me, oh my. All right, coming up, if your parents are divorced, is your marriage doomed to fail? I'll talk about the research there. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Do you worry uh, about getting divorced if your own parents were divorced? Um, well... There is, there is an impact of parental divorce. Research does show that children of divorce are more likely to experience a divorce themselves. There's many different statistics on this, but let me just share one study by Amato and DeBoer, who indicated that if a woman's parents divorced, her odds of divorce increased 69%, while if both a husband and wife's parents divorced, the risk of divorce increased by 189%. And they go on to cite 10 other studies over 20 years that reached similar results. So we could pretty much say that parental divorce is one of the best documented risk factors for marriage dissolution or another divorce. So 
these researchers said, okay, let's look at this and look at the why. What is going on? Is it enough to say that divorce simply begets divorce? No, it's not enough to, uh, to like statistics alone can't explain something, right? So, uh, they look at research that, that looks at two theories, two hypotheses to explain why there is more divorce in children of divorce. I want to share a little bit of that, um, with you. So there's a theory that states that children of divorce are more likely to divorce themselves because they did not get to watch their parents model healthy relationship skills, uh, things like open communication, negotiation skills, and compromise. And that this lack of skills, uh, leads directly to divorce in children of divorce. But is this enough? Simply, uh, watching your parents argue. According to one researcher in, in 2001, um, it's not enough to explain uh, divorce trends because they found that children whose parents fought a lot, but never divorced were not at increased risk of divorce themselves. So the conclusion is that parents marital discourse, uh, discord in the absence of parental divorce was not linked with, uh, divorce in their offspring. They also go on to say that children who grow up in acrimonious households were more likely to contemplate divorce in their own relationships, but without a model of divorce to emulate, they typically did not follow through and divorce their spouses. They just stayed in unhappy marriages, just like their parents, I suppose. Uh, divorcing couples tend to, uh, listen less attentively, communicate less clearly, speak critically of their partner, etc., etc. And these are patterns that can be picked up in childhood, by the way, and also can increase the likelihood of divorce. But still, it is the divorce itself, not the fighting, which accounts for the increased risk in their children's divorce. There's a second theory called the confidence and commitment theory that states that children observing and experiencing their parents' divorce leads to a reduced commitment to the institution of marriage and lower confidence in the ability of marriages to remain intact long-term. This is what I see most often is people's fears around, um, divorce, right? So they're terrified that the same thing will happen, uh, to them. Uh, and so they, uh, what ends up happening is that their lack of confidence in marriage may actually lead to the higher, uh, divorce rates. So what do you do with all of this information? So children of divorce are at risk of responding to their fear of divorce in one of two ways. Some dive headlong into inappropriate unformed relationships as a counterphobic response to their fears, which of course can lead to divorce. Uh, others avoid relationships altogether, or when they are in a relationship, they maintain a mindset that's like waiting for the other shoe to drop basically. Right. Uh, so they haven't learned a lot of the, those positive, uh, those positive things, but you still have choices. Even if you are a child of uh, divorce, you, um, can come to terms with your upbringing. 
in therapy, you can learn a whole lot more. You can work through the impact of your parents' divorce. You can learn how it shaped your perception of relationships. You can uh, begin to separate yourself from your parents' relationship. Your, your relationship is not your parents' relationship. You can also look to other relationships to model what it is to, um, to have, what, what keeps a, a relationship long lasting. So look to people who have successful marriages, long-term marriages, uh, to, uh, to use as models, uh, for yourself. So it, you're not doomed. It, it's not like if your parents divorce, you're doomed for this there. You can change the course of that. So that's the important message I want to leave behind. The last thing I want to talk to you about is, is a bit disturbing. And I, I think I heard it on a, maybe it was on John Paul's show. I can't remember, but I think it was. Yes. Uh, so this guy, this on Twitter, uh, this is what I understand. This is a guy, he's a motivational speaker. Okay. Um, and coach and, and stuff like this. He basically writes a long list of tips for women on how to be beautiful. This is his thing. So, um, basically what he wrote is sexist, misogynistic, delusional, inflammatory. (laughs) And yet this is a guy who has 58,000 followers and he tweeted and uh, obviously people were responding back and forth. And then his tweets just got worse and worse and worse. These are some of the things he wrote. How to, his name is Alexander Cortez, by the way, how to be a beautiful woman. Listen to this. Be thin, be able to cook, have long hair, wear makeup, be feminine, be graceful, be sensual, shave, be fashionable, wear pink and feminine colors, love men, listen to men, stay classy, Ladies, and then he goes on to say, you can learn more about how to be a feminine and beautiful women that men want on my newsletter. And then he says, remember, only a man can tell a woman how to act. This guy got like retweets, likes over 9,000 right away from that, from his, uh, first tweet. I don't know who would like this kind of stuff. But then he goes on to say, like, he takes it more. He says, you can use this list to vet women. If you show them this list and they become angry, that lets you know that they are harpies that you never want to breed with and that they would be terrible mothers. Stay woke, kings, he says. And to women, he says, if you follow the lessons on the list, you can become a woman that masculine men are attracted to. And then he says, contact me to learn how to be beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And then another tweet, I have a personal policy that I only talk to women who are eight pluses on a 10 scale. So if I ignore your reply, don't feel bad. You can probably upgrade yourself if you follow the roadmap that I've given you. Beauty can always be learned. One day you might want to get married. Your wife value will matter. And then he gives, you know, more of his stupidities. 
as to the roadmap and gives his uh, his address. Oh, and he adds things like how to be a better wife, cook for your family, have long hair, ditch bitch friends, be feminine, stay in shape, be graceful, be sensual, be fashionable, love your family more than a job, listen to your husband, care for your kids. What century is this guy from? Truly. And then he posts pictures of himself. And I mean, really, there's... um. A serious problem. Oh, yeah. And then he goes on to say, must be me because I'm angry. If you're angry, it might be because your excess body fat is causing hormonal fluctuations that make you emotional. You can fix this by working out and going to the gym and unfatting yourself. Fit women are pretty women. I wanted to puke just, just to tell you when I read it. I just wanted to throw up. Sorry, I have to leave you on uh, on that note, but more exciting things to come next week on Passion. Thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me. Do appreciate it. Thanks for your texts. Thank you to our technical producer, Dave Simon. Thanks to Linda Delisi, our Passion researcher. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Wishing you a great rest of the evening, a fabulous weekend. And remember to live your life with passion.